Hello and welcome to Lit Pen, a Victoria Festival of Authors podcast, bringing you readings and workshops from the VFA's alumni authors. I'm Martin Bauman. On LitPen, you'll find authors from across Canada, but home for this festival is the West Coast, and the VFA's home is found on the traditional ancestral territories of the Lekwungen people, also known as the Songhees and Esquimalt nations. Before today's episode, we acknowledge the ancestors, hereditary leaders, and matriarchs, as well as the creators from these lands, and give thanks for the privilege of living, writing, and reading here. We are committed to serving as learners and listeners. On this week's podcast is Leanne Dunick. Leanne is the author of To Love the Coming End and The Gift. She is the fiction editor at Tahoma Literary Review and the leader of the band The Deep Cove. Leanne's most recent book, is a hybrid lyric memoir and music project called One and Half of You. And she's got another book of lyric prose and photographs wet. That's coming to Talon Books in spring 2024. Leanne lives on the unceded and occupied traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. She joins us from there. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. Today, we're going to talk about ways to use randomness to invigorate your writing. This podcast is suitable for all genres of writing. And so to start, I'm going to read from some of my personal writing projects. Um, The first thing I'm going to read is a poem that was recently a finalist for the Montreal Poetry Prize. I was inspired to write this after seeing a photograph on CBC News of a large sturgeon in the Fraser River with a smaller sturgeon in its mouth. Um, So this poem is called Sturgeon Devouring His Son. For fear of being usurped, Saturn ate his children. My father taught me how to feed myself, how to gut snapper, rock cod, flounder. He put names to each berry, creature, tree, and spoke of an ancient fish that could live over a hundred years, that still live. Sturgeon have endured salmon infested with sea lice, lures, gasoline, fabric, foam, bottle caps, batteries, diapers, razors, masks, growing demand for their caviar. Decades ago, as my friend learned of the warming oceans, extinctions, and the endless more, She declared with love and seriousness, I have to kill my children. Yet she didn't have the strength. Now they're grown with hearts breaking and an app that delivers tuna tataki in 40 minutes. To avoid maternity, I swallowed pills until I learned of the estrogen and progesterone I pissed into the river. The one already weakened from extra Celsius, diminished salmon and smelt. The same river where a fisherman took the photograph I've titled Sturgeon Devouring His Son. Food scarcity, they say, due to floods, pollution, overfishing. One must eat child or stone. Tongue on his spawn, 
a sturgeon survives. I have a new book coming out with Talon Books in spring 2024. It's entitled Wet. It's a verse novel with photographs that follows a model in Singapore during the 2015 haze, a haze that was caused by forest fires in Indonesia. Um, I'm writing this book because I was a model there many, 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 many years ago. And when I was there, I noticed all the transient workers that were keeping Singapore as a seemingly prosperous and futuristic country. I was one of them, but of course there were plenty of others from places like Bangladesh, India, China, and Malaysia. A third of Singapore's workforce is made up of so-called transient workers. And the complex transnational, transcultural class dynamics are revealed in my book's narrator's day-to-day -day experiences against the backdrop of environmental catastrophe. So when I started writing this book in 2015, um, everybody in Singapore were, were wearing masks because of the forest fires. And I thought of this book as being coming a post-apocalyptic kind of view of the world with, with the idea of everyone wearing masks. And then this book is taking me so long to write. And then COVID happened and now everybody's used to the sight of people wearing masks. So that's kind of shifted how I am presenting this book now, but it's still current, I think. And well, you can be the judge in 2024, but um, what I'm gonna read for you today is a retelling of the Snow White fairy tale, which I, I originally wrote as a regular story, and then I chopped it up and fragments, and I laid it out throughout my manuscript for wet. So yeah, it makes an appearance in some unexpected times. But for you, I am going to read it as a whole. Here we go. These solitary days on the mountain helped Snow realize just how much she had missed living in a wild world. A mountain, the prince had asked. Why would you want to leave the castle? Anything you want, you can have it. As she stared out the window of her new cabin in the snow-quiet landscape, she knew she had made the best decision. That morning, a huntress had knocked on Snow's door. From a faded, snow-dusted sack, the woman presented Snow with a welcoming gift of apples, persimmons, and pomegranates. Snow couldn't guess the huntress's age. She had a prominent nose and her hair was dark with a slight auburn tint. She smelled faintly of soil, musk, and animal blood. Snow had a fondness for hunters since one had spared her life. Best not to let anyone into your cabin, the prince had admonished before she left. Despite that, Snow invited the huntress inside, then watched and sliced some of the fruits. The woman took an apple slice off the plate and motioned for Snow to have some. Snow knew she shouldn't, but couldn't help herself. The apple was crisp and moist and delicious. Snow told the woman how she had come to the mountain to see the red foxes. She hadn't seen one before, and after two days here, she still hadn't. In fact, she hadn't seen any animals at all. The woman nodded. You'll see one soon. Snow hoped she was right. The huntress ate a few more apple slices before heading off. Now, out the window, 
Snow was surprised to see that the snow had started to melt. Perhaps now animals would emerge. She scanned the white landscape for movement when she was startled by a thunk at her window. A bird lay on the edge, the ledge outside, unmoving, its feathers a surprising bouquet of sunset colors. Snow opened the window and collected the bird with cupped hands. It was so beautiful and warm. She pressed the bird to her cheek as if to keep its life from leaving its body. Its head flopped back and a drop of blood emerged from its beak. Snow brought its tiny chest to her ear. The heart had ceased to beat. Snow's tears surged. How badly she had wanted to be close to animals, to have them love her as she had loved them. Perhaps she should never wish for anything again. Shortly after, a scratch sounded at Snow's front door. She peered out the window but didn't see anything. She opened the door. Oh, I hoped I'd see you again, Snow said. The huntress let herself inside. Her eyes darted to each wall of the cabin. Should I put on some tea? Snow asked, pointing to the kettle. The woman nodded. As Snow prepared the kettle, the huntress moved stealthily from corner to corner, sniffing. Finally, she approached Snow, grabbed her hand, and brought her fingers to her nostrils. Her eyes widened. She got down on all fours and extended her nose as if to trace a scent. Her nose moved through the air towards Snow's desk. When she spotted the bird, she grabbed it, opened her jaws, and swallowed it all at once. My bird, Snow, dropped the kettle onto the floor. Not yours, the huntress said. The bird belongs to the mountain. She scurries towards Snow, saliva running down her now furry chin. And now you belong too. Snow stared into the fox's golden eyes to see a carnal glint that made something stir within her. The bird had only whetted the fox's appetite. She licked the side of her muzzle. With a smile, Snow stepped closer to the fox. Your tail looks so soft. May I touch it? The fox nodded. Snow had underestimated the bushiness of the tail, which now curled around her entire body, supporting her head, weaving between her legs, blanketing her torso. The fox's snout traced from Snow's toes along the side of her body and neck. She paused by Snow's ear, hair bristling her skin, and whispered, You smell damp, like melted snow. Snow blushed. She closed her eyes and surrendered to the spread of the red fur that caressed her. She looked down to her thin feet and watched them delicate, a sensation she had never felt before. Her calves, then her thighs, spilled into the widening pool. Inch by inch, she dissolved. Snow soon relaxed into the newfound boundlessness of her body. You may think it's a misfortune for one to melt. Even Snow had seen the Wizard of Oz, but becoming part of the mountain was what Snow had wanted above all else. The fox let others into the cabin. The deer, the owl, the shrew, the crane. More followed. The animals gathered around the crystalline puddle that was now Snow, and they saw themselves reflected. They bowed to her and lovingly lapped her up.
I will now read from my most recent book, which is called One and Half of You, which came out in 2021 with Talon Books. It's a lyric memoir with music. It took a decade to come together. I mean, it started first as a novel, then it shifted into a book of poems, and now it is what it is today, which, yeah, I guess it's like a fragmented essay. It has uh, several narrative threads and moves through my childhood to becoming a young adult and explores growing up as a biracial and bisexual woman on Vancouver Island. It's centered around my relationship with my younger brother, as well as a lover who shares the same mixed race identity as myself. So I'm just going to read a few random pages from this book. Birthmarks. Some have vanished, but then again, nostalgia distorts. Sometimes I forget that I'm Chinese, that I'm not. I dwell in the Chinatowns of port cities, Victoria, Vancouver, Stinson, Singapore, Kobe, Yokohama, San Francisco, Seattle. No answers, only red and gold plastic decorations and the question, is your mother Chinese? They never ask if it's my father who is Chinese. Chinatown, four by 10 room, the gap between books, paper and beeswax. Scent captive, like insects in resin. Salves we shelve for future reference. Discover intimacy of sleep. Difficult to catalog, love is full of defiant compulsions. Inhale, wear it like rubies. Unfold between us a chestnut, sprouting stem, pink-tipped. Nourish body, nourish spirit, attract a lover, attract divinity. When I was a kid, my relations shopped at the same butcher in Chinatown. Mounds of pig ears, chopped red and sticky, brown paper wrapped. Water chestnut, pomegranate pomelo, bins of autumn produce, bull-like caltrops, poisonous if undercooked, crunch cartilage, stew hard, bone broth. Vancouver's Chinatown lines defaced with anti-aging COVID. New premium casual plant-based restaurant moving into another racially charged attack in Vancouver's Chinatown. Racist graffiti scrawled on Chinatown lines in Vancouver. For Chinatown seniors, survival means staying in touch. Chinatown businesses and city-owned mall desperate for rent. Chinatown performance aims to bring healing after racist. COVID-19, series of anti-Asian assaults and vandalism. VPD report a 625% increase in anti-Asian crime investigations. Anti-Asian hate crimes in Vancouver, not what veterans fought. Cat stuck on SkyTrain platform, found safe and sound. Thanks. All right, well, with that last piece that I read from one and half of you, you may be wondering what it was exactly that you were listening to and... Um, what it was, was the headlines from a Google search I did in May 2020. You know, I typed in the words Vancouver Chinatown and 
those were the exact headlines that showed up when I did that search and it just perfectly summarized everything like all the themes of my book and so I used it as a found poem and so what I want to talk about with you today is is ways of embracing randomness like that into your creative work things like mistakes misreads found words or as you know as I said the search headlines um, I encourage you all to keep a list of words thoughts and observations in a notebook I'm old-fashioned that way I still keep a notebook that fits right in my pocket and um, I have countless tiny notebooks and I whenever I'm feeling like I'm ready to start something new I will take these notebooks and just flip through them and and see what round notes I've amassed over the over the years and and it's always an interesting process I think there's something about what each of us notice individually a distinctive personal aesthetic of noticing and that's a really valuable thing to recognize with yourself like what is it that you notice that other people don't for example in my first book to love the coming end that book emerged for me going through these notebooks and noticing that throughout all of these notebooks I had subconsciously made a lot of notes that involved the number 11 and how a significant amount of unfortunate events had happened to be associated with that number one of them being the Tohoku earthquake that happened in March 11th, 2011. And so I went through my notebooks and jotted all these notes down on a separate document and then built a manuscript from just that little prompt. So yeah, I mean, this is something I have done with lots of poems and stories and stuff. And I think it seems so simple to do and it is, but it can be so valuable. Um, for today's exercises, I wanted to stress that there's absolutely no wrong way to do them. If you're writing, then the exercise is successful. And what I want to base our exercises around today are facts. So to start, what I would like you to do is to write a list of five to the ten facts. They do not have to be related at all, just random facts. And I'll give you a few to get started. Here's the first one. The skin is the body's largest organ. Sharks have been around longer than trees. Vancouver has the highest real estate prices in Canada. Okay, you can pause the podcast right now while you get your five to 10 facts written down. Okay, you got your facts. Now you're gonna use one of those facts and apply it to this recipe. So you're gonna use one fact, one memory, something you can smell, a question, something you want to believe, and a simile. So that a simile is a metaphor that uses like or as. So with this recipe, which I'll repeat in a moment, you're just going to write a response to each of these things. And you don't need to connect them, though if you want to, you can. But I, sometimes I think it's better not to because magical things happen when, when, you're, not, when you're not letting your brain control your writing. So um, I'll repeat these back to you. You're going to use a fact, 
a memory, something you can smell, a question, something you want to believe, and a simile. I suggest you give yourself 10 minutes to do this exercise, and I'll let you pause the podcast now. I really wish this wasn't a one-way podcast so that I could hear the results of your writing from this prompt. I've done this prompt with my students before, and it's always so exciting to see what people come up with. I hope you are excited too. And this is something that you can make up on your own, like make up a different recipe. And it's just a prompt to kind of force you to write in ways perhaps that you don't naturally write. And um, that can be really exciting and really invigorating. So with that same motivation in mind, I want you to choose two of your unrelated facts. And now I want you to connect them. So starting with one, and then using 10 lines in between, connect that first fact to the last fact. Remember only 10 lines in between, start with your first fact to get to the second fact. And you can pause the podcast now and write for however long you like, but maybe 10 minutes would be good. Again, I wish I could hear the results of your writing, alas. (laughs) Another thing you could do with uh, those facts that you wrote down is use them for a title. I've always been a fan of long titles. One of my favorite, well, let me list a couple of my favorites. One of them is by Philip Levine. It's a poem called, My Father with Cigarette 12 Years Before the Nazis Could Break His Heart. Another title I like is by, it's for a book by Sunil Yapa. Um, The book is called, Your Heart is a Muscle the Size of a Fist. Again, that's a fact. And it's a very compelling title in my personal opinion. So you could use one of those facts that you wrote today for a title or as a prompt for something new or something you could you could apply it to something you've already written. If you're ever feeling stuck with your writing, randomness can be a key to unlocking that state. You can use the exercise of bringing in a fact as something to write towards. What would happen if you brought in a random or contrasting element? You can also deconstruct the work of others or even your own work and find the particularities of the work, choose one and then explode that in some way and incorporate it with your own, with your own piece. Um, I did a lot of that with my first book where I brought in interviews and, um, and quoted people like Claude Levi Strauss and Malcolm Gladwell. And I felt like those random inclusions really enhanced my themes and narratives. So it's kind of an unexpected way to speak to your stories or your that your narrative's themes. So experiment with that. I also encourage you to bring other media into your work, collaborate with others. For my musical project and short story, it's um, called The Gift. It's a short story with a full album. The short story feeds the lyrics and music that accompany it. But then there are also some illustrations that I received from an artist friend of mine, uh, Gabrielle Bates, and 
together with those photos and the music and the and the prose makes for a really immersive experience. Something to keep in mind with found art is that found art is reframing something that already exists. And I think of it when I have my photographer hat on, I mean, the art is already there. The, the beautiful scenery or people or whatever you're photographing is already there. But what makes it art is using your own perception, your own perceiving eye that captures it in a unique way that only you can do that and only you can do. So I hope that you will spend some time trying to understand and, and um, investigate your own perceiving eye and its strengths. Other ways to bring in randomness is to utilize Brian Eno's oblique strategies. For those who, who don't know, Brian Eno is a musician, producer, polymath, who developed a deck of creative prompts which were traditionally kept in music recording studios to help musicians out of their funk. So if you Google oblique strategies, you will find an online version of these cards and you can use them as a sort of oracle to help you out of any creative challenges or blocks or even just to give you a prompt. It's important to remain fluid and trust your creative writing process. The more relaxed you are when you try, the easier it will be to get where you want to be. And so I will leave you with those thoughts and wish you the best of luck with all of your writing. This episode of Lit Pen was produced by Laura Trunke and me, Martin Bauman. Theme music for the show is by Leanne Dunick. And don't let this be the end. Head on over to our Facebook group and join in this week's writing exercise. You can find that link in the episode's description. You can also see what other writers have come up with. Until then, happy writing. Mm -hmm.